Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. And I've been praying over the folks this morning, Matthew 5 and verse 6, that they would be blessed with a deep hunger and a deep thirst for righteousness and that they would be filled. And Father, I just confess Mark 4.20 that we are good ground this morning, that we are ready, our hearts are open to receive the seed of the word of God. And I just thank you for uh, Acts 16.5, that the church is strengthened this morning, Lord, because of your word. Thank you that my uh, words are of you and not of my own agenda or my own heart, but my words are touched of your presence, and they go deep into our heart. In Colossians 1.7, they bear fruit from the moment they go in our hearts. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Very, very quickly, we will just catch you up. In the First Things First series, how many of you have benefited and been blessed by our First Things First series? It has really been a great series. I may reteach this every year at the beginning of the year because it's just so it's so powerful. But we begin to talk to you here about First Things First, and just just to kind of catch you up where we are, let's look at our text that we've we've started out with, and it's in Second Corinthians eight five. And this is so applicable to us now and where we are and where we're going as a church. So open up to Second Corinthians eight. Five. I'm going to read it, and hopefully it'll be there on the screen. It says, They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us also. And then we quoted Exodus 34, 14, where God is a jealous God. I have a newsflash for you. God wants you. God wants all of you. God doesn't want just to be a part of your life. God wants all of your life. He wants you and, and nothing less. And so God is a jealous God. And we begin to talk to you about starting each page with God, whether it's schooling, whether it's uh, relationships, whether it's employment. How many of you know, especially in relationships, we should start with God at the top of our page? And in our church world and in our business world, we start every day with God at the top, and then we fill in the blanks. And we talked about a difference between putting God first and keeping God first. It's easy to put God first, but then it's it's a whole other world to keep God first. And we are on the journey of keeping God first. And we talked about not trying to work God into your busy schedule but actually working and revolving your schedule around God. And we talked to you about Cain and Abel and how Cain's sacrifice did not catch the attention of God. It didn't, God did not have regard for Cain. It didn't get God's attention because it was not first. It was more of a rushed, hurried afterthought. And God had regard for Abel, Cain's brother, because Abel's was first. Abel gave his first and he gave his best. So we talked about the portion from the law of the first. Not only does God want us and, and our lives, but he wants the first. He said the first firstborn belong to him. The first fruits offering belong to the Lord. So we see that God is the first. Then we talked about the God habit. And we talked about developing our life where our habits actually line up with the word of God. And then we, last week we talked about the good fight of faith. And I think you'll see this screen, Jared. Let's show them the areas that we are to put God first in. We're in a fight. This is a faith fight. And there's several things in our health. We want to honor God, put him first in our conflicts. We want to put God first in our tests and trials. We want to put God first in our marriage, in our relationships, and then in, in our finances, and then in, in his kingdom and in our life. We want to put God first. So that catches us up to date where we are, and we're going to jump into new ground and new territory today. Look at your neighbor and say, first things first. So today we're going we're gonna to land this plane. We're going to close this session out with, with talking about putting God first in our finances. How appropriate that we are able to share with Mission Sunday today. How many of you are so glad you came when the preacher's talking about putting God first in your finances? 
I appreciate your enthusiasm. But this really is, this, I'm going to take a different angle today. And I want to, I want to kind of methodically walk through this because I'm going to bring this in a different light than maybe you haven't seen. Um, if you notice, our church, we, we talk very little about money as far as sermons. And, and I've got no problem with preaching on money. Matter of fact, look at this screen, Jared. Let me show you some stats about money in the Bible. There are over 500 verses in prayer. There's a little less than 500 verses on faith. So if I showed up and preached on faith, how many of you would have a problem with it? Nobody. If I showed up and preached on prayer, how many of you would have an issue with it? Nobody. But when churches teach on money or preach on finances, folks kind of get a little squirmy and you kind of grab your wallet. You can let your wallet go. Amen. We're not collecting another offering today. So I see your grip there. You can let it go. But there are actually 2,000 plus verses on stewardship, finances, finances, and possessions. Let me say it again. 2,000 plus verses on money, finances, stewardship, and possessions. 16 of the 38 parables. That's 42%. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables deal with finances and money and stewardship. So I could technically preach on money 22 Sundays a year and be in line with the Bible. How many of you are excited about that? But we're going we're gonna to bring this to you this morning in, in, a, in a different way. And this is, this is very sad because in our culture, so many in our culture do not have a good understanding of giving, New Testament giving. What's the deal with tithing? That's in, we see that in the Old Testament. Is that still valid today? Are there pieces of that that is valid today? And, and there's been a lot of people, honestly, who tithe now, and they don't really know why they do it. And they, they've been told that, you know, God's going to curse you and kill your kids and burn your house down if you're not giving. And... And how many know it's just not the case? So there are people who are actually following biblical principles, but they're, they're, they don't maybe exactly know the why and the how. The how. And, and so today I want to bring some, some clarity. I want to bring correct and accurate teaching on putting God first in our finances. Even though there's been abuse, even though there's been misuse. How many of you have heard about abuse of finances in the ministry? How many of you have heard about misuse of finances? In today's world with media, social media, the news networks, those misuses and abuses are exemplified. But how many of that shouldn't stop us from teaching biblical truth? It shouldn't stop us from teaching biblical principles. And so how many know it's good to have, it's good to have money, it's good to have treasure, but how many know you can't take it with you? Check out this video and let's find out a story about someone who thought they could potentially take it with them. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. So sorry for your loss. Thank you. Hon, are you okay? You want me to hold that box for you? Oh, no. Good gracious. I'm glad you reminded me. I mean, I got... Did they put him in the hearse already? I gotta get this in his casket. I gotta go. Well, what is it? What's in there? Well, you remember that promise that I made him. I mean, he he wanted all his money with him when he died in the casket, so... You mean to tell me you're gonna put all of his money in that casket with that stingy old man? He's such a booger. You know he made you work hard all his life and he made you beg for every cent that he gave you. He can't take it with him. I know, I know it, but look, I'm a good Christian woman and I, I can't lie. I made that promise, so I, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, all right? I mean, listen, I gathered up all his money, I put it in my account, and then I wrote him a check. How many of you think you'll get that this afternoon? 
How many of you can't take it with you? Amen. So we should just dismiss now on a high note. Amen. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 6. and We're going to talk about treasure. I'm going to approach honoring God and our finances in a much different way, maybe, maybe than you've ever heard before, but it's going to be so freeing. It's going to be so liberating. It's going to really kind of clarify some things as far as putting God first in the area of our finances. Look at verse 19 in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, he's not saying don't save. He's not saying don't plan. He's not saying don't be wise. Some commentators that I read translate that word store more of a more of a hoarding, more of a greed. And how many know you can save and you can still be generous? You can be wise and you can still be generous. So don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. And there's context here. It's actually, I don't have time to get into the true context of this passage. But it says, don't store up where thieves break in and steal. Now look at verse 20. I want you to see this right here. Verse 20 tells us this. It says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So the whole theme of this morning is treasures in heaven. Thank God for treasures on the earth. Thank God for, you know, savings and the ability to build wealth. But thank God for treasures in heaven. There's a greater account that you can put deposits into that are not in the natural, that are not just in the world we see. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When these young men go to Africa and they give of their time for those two weeks, they are literally storing up treasures in heaven. Those of you that have come and served and worked around the, the church, anytime you're serving and giving and, and loving, you are actually storing up in your account treasures in heaven. It says, store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. I mean, oh, there's no pesky moth in heaven. That's a promise we ought to get excited about. And then there's no thieves that can break in and steal. Now look at verse 21. This is, this is the platform for the entire message. If you miss this verse, you miss the whole heart of the message. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For wherever your treasure is, your heart is going to follow. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we can also turn that just slightly and say that your treasure reveals your heart because they often go hand in hand. You can show me your bank account and I can show you what your heart is in. I can say, oh, their heart is at McDonald's, their heart is at Wendy's, their heart is at... And, and if you spend money on your family or your home, that's where your heart is, so your treasure goes there. But I want to I bring something here that maybe you've never seen before. If your heart is not fully after God, and I believe everyone in the room has good hearts as I'm scanning the audience. I, I believe that you have a heart after God. But we all go through seasons where we don't feel like our heart is, is following after the Lord as much as we would like. That's why we sang the song, No Place I Would Rather Be, here in your presence, here in your love. Because there are times in our life when my heart is not fully committed to the Lord. So I can actually send my treasure ahead of where I want my heart to go. And I'm going to bring this out in a really powerful way. Let me give you an example we can all understand. So there's a young man, and he's got an attraction to a young lady, and they, they're dating, and, and they're doing it right, honoring God, staying pure, and, and, you know, all the things that go into godly dating. And how many know it's good to date, and you ought to date godly pure? You ought to have purity in your dating and purity in relationships. And so they're dating, and they're doing it the right way, honoring God, and this young man decides, I want to, I want to marry this girl. I really love her, and, and I want to marry her. So he works and works. And he saves his treasure, saves and saves, and he goes down to the jewelry store, buys a big, nice ring, nice diamond. It's a real diamond. It's not as big as what some other girls get because he's been working and saving and staying out of debt, but it's a nice deal. It's the real thing. And 
And so he gets down on his knee and, 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 and says, will you marry me? And he puts that treasure on her finger. How many know now the girl's heart is now following the treasure? Yes, she loved him, but now the commitment has went to a totally different level. And now, now his heart follows the treasure because now he keeps a little better track of where that lady is. <laughs> he keeps a little better eye on who she's talking to. And, and he keeps a little better uh, sharpening of his relationship because now it's a different level because the treasure's been invested. So now the hearts follow after the treasure. So wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there as well. And so this is, this is where we're going to really launch this morning. And this will help us as a body. My goal for you today, I have no hidden agenda in teaching this except for your advancement and your blessing and your growth in the Lord. It's not that the church needs your money. A lot of preachers preach on finances when the church is in financial trouble. We just had our absolute best year financially in the history of our church. Come on, can we give God thanks? We're not late on any bills. We're building some savings. God is blessing us. We're able to do missions. So I'm not bringing you this because we're not going to be able to pay the lights next week if we don't get more tithe and offerings. So this honestly is for you. I'm bringing perspective from almost 20 years of operating and what I'm going to share with you today. And you can't talk me out of the truths that I'm going to share because they are biblical and they are godly. And I want you to be planted in the house of the Lord. And part of our planting is through our finances. Scripture talks to the man that buys a field and he hides a treasure in it. And he sold everything he had to get the treasure. And so my goal is for you to be planted in the Lord. Look at Psalm 92.13. I want you to see this. Psalm 92.13 is such a powerful scripture. It says this, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Now, I got, a, I got a scripture for all the old people in the house. Are you ready? This promise is for you. It says, they will still yield fruit in old age. Can I have an amen from anybody that feels old in the house? <laughs> you'll still bear fruit in old age, and you'll be full of sap and green. Would you look at your neighbor and say, you are so full of sap? Would you just tell them? <laughs> but tell them, I mean that in the most encouraging way. <laughs> So there's a planting that happens as we invest in God's work and God's kingdom, and there's an establishing. So let me just bring this back to you. We're going to talk about systematic giving. We're going to look at the Old Testament. What did, what did it say about giving and, and what you've heard of, of tithing? And is that in the New Testament? Should we follow that today? Should we not? You know, where's the line? And, and first of all, there's a couple of things I want to say. Number one, it is life and not law. I want everybody in the house to get that. This giving that I'm talking about is life, not law, meaning this is a way of life for me. And, and secondly, I, I'm going to talk about a systematic way that we, we give to the Lord, but it's more of a spiritual discipline. It's not so much of a do this and a don't do this and you have to do this. It's more of a, a, a spiritual discipline in my life for the Lord. Now, look at Proverbs 3.9. We're talking about first things first. So why, Josh, would we bring a message about finances in this series on first things first? Well, the Bible boldly declares in Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord. Why do I give? Why do I invest in ministries? Why do I invest in mission trips? Because it's a way that I honor the Lord. And Jared said something this morning. He said, we feel like we owe it to the Lord to go on this trip and to make a difference. And, and that is a good heart to have and a right heart to have. There is an element of that, if not guarded, that can be, you can get into a ditch on that, meaning you're trying to get God to love you. Of course, these guys are not there. They're just going because they want to honor the Lord. But we honor God. We honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce and from the first of all your increase. We honor the Lord from your wealth so that your barns will be filled with plenty. Now, I think Mary's the only one that maybe has a barn. I don't know. 
But everybody else, there, there can be plenty in whatever your barn is, whatever your situation is, there can, be, there can be plenty. And it comes from honoring the Lord and from the first of all you produce. So when, when I invest in God's kingdom, when I put God first in my finances, it reveals my heart. It's easy to say I'm putting God first, but if I don't put my money where my mouth is, then it, there's a disconnect. Does that make sense? And so we're going we're gonna to walk through this. Again, give me the next few minutes to really open this up and unpack this in a way that maybe you've never seen before. So let's go all the way back now to the most famous passage in the Bible on tithing, and we're going to debunk some things. We're going to declutter some things that maybe you've heard before. So we're going to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Anybody that's ever been in church more than two weeks has probably heard this scripture, heard it referred to, but you probably heard it wrong. You probably heard some things that weren't really uh, intended in this passage. Now, let me just say something very clearly here. I have really endeavored to study this out. I'm not an expert on this at all. There are probably those in the room that have a better grasp on this than I do. But I have studied both opinions. There's this side over here, Tyler, that states that tithing was completely under the Old Testament, completely under the law, and there's not even a part of it that is brought over into the New Testament, and we are uh, wrong to put... A 10%. Tithe means 10th. That's all that tithe means is 10th. Now, we are completely wrong and out of context scripturally to even put that on people. And I have studied that and I have read that. And then I have also read and studied the folks that live and die by it. And they, they swear up and down that it is, you know, God holds you now to a 10th. And, and, and they'll even fight you. Is it a 10th of your net income or a 10th of your gross income? And we're going to talk, by the time we're done with the series, that's not even going to be the question. Amen? And, and there are Christians that will fight you over the tithe, and they'll say, well, you know, it's, I'm not under that now. And Well, we're Gentiles. We were never under the law. It never applies to us. And so honestly, I'm going to say this lovingly and kindly, and, and I'm in the room. Do you guys see that I'm in the room? Everybody see I'm in the room? I'm going to say this, and it includes me, but everybody in the room. There's nobody in this room, and I say this lovingly, and I say this kindly. There's nobody in this room that actually technically follows the pattern of what I would call New Testament giving because they sold everything they had, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And I've yet to have any one of you find people bring all your money in that big shoebox and lay it at my feet and say, Pastor, do what you want to do with it. Send them to Africa, so forth and so on. So I, I'm not just talking in a sense of, of what you do and what you don't do, but even me, including me. So we, we fight over the 10% when in all honesty, the 10% folks, and I'm going to share about, we're looking at the Old Testament, and I'm going to share about the New Testament because if you're honest with the Bible, the New Testament doesn't address the tithe very much. It doesn't address the tenth very much. But there's other things New Testament doesn't address either that we still practice and do, like worshiping with music and all that. I, there's entire churches that... Uh, don't use any instruments in their church because the New Testament doesn't specifically say that we should do instruments. How I many know we need instruments? Amen. How I many know when the pastor starts the song in the wrong key, thank God for instruments to get us back up? How many of y'all know that God can show up and move even when we sing in the wrong key? Amen. Somebody had to fall on the sword for that one. And so we just, right there it is. So it's, 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 I've studied both and I've looked at this every which way. And so by the time we're done with the series, it's not even a matter of the tent. Honestly, the tenth is, is the training wheel, seriously, just to get you up and going in your giving. And personally, my personal opinion, if you ask me, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. I'll circle back around. If you ask me, why is tithing not listed more explicitly in the New Testament? There are some references. I'll show you those. But it's not, it's not 
very clear as, as other doctrines in the Bible. And, and I have two thoughts on that. Number one, I believe that they were, the writers of the New Testament were really trying to combat the absolute nitpickiness of the Pharisees and the absolute legalism that was over the Jewish people. I believe that is one potential reason. But more than that, honestly, I believe it was assumed. I believe it was just expected. 10%, what are you talking about? I just sold everything I have and gave it to the Lord. I would love to give 10%. New Testament Christians would have loved to have given 10%. They were selling all. And it was, of course, different culture, different time, different context. I understand that. But I think if we had the discussions we have today about should you give 10% or not with New Testament church, they would, they would laugh at us and be like, what are you talking about? Because if you follow God and you follow New Testament generosity, 10% won't even be an issue. Most Christians, I say this lovingly, most Christians try to work their way up to 10%, and then they feel like they've arrived when they hit that 10% mark. When I believe in the eyes of God, number one, yes, He owns everything, but as far as giving systematic discipline, 10%, I believe, is just the start, just the, just the floor. If you're following the Lord and following the Holy Spirit, you will give way more than 10%, and you will never miss it. Can I have an amen in the house? Now, again, again, I'm not after your wallet. Neither is God. We're after, we're after God's blessings on your finances. We're after God's blessings on your employment. We're after you walking in the favor and blessings of the Lord that have already been provided for. When we give, God doesn't say, I'm going to bless them more. God has already blessed us. The blessings of God have already been poured out in Christ Jesus. When I'm obedient to the Lord in whatever area, it puts me in line to receive all that God wants to do in my life. Amen? All right. Thank you for your excitement this morning on finances. All right, Malachi chapter 6. Here we go. Let's talk through this. Let's talk about the Old Testament passage. It really lays out the robbing of God, so forth, so on. And let's see what, what the New, New Testament has to say about it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Now, we have to understand there's not two gods of the Bible. There's not the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. Thank God in the New Testament, under grace, God deals with sin differently because of Jesus Christ and all that has been paid for. But there is a lot that we can learn from the Old Testament. There's a lot of principles and a lot of practice, and God doesn't change. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Lord starts out here, I'm the Lord, I do not change. That is why you're descendants of, of Jacob, that's why you are not already destroyed. So here's what I want you to get from this. Jared, if you can, go back to verse 6. I want you to see this. I'm the Lord, I do not change. Meaning in Malachi chapter 3, God was a gracious God. In Malachi chapter 3, God was a good God. In Malachi chapter 3, God is a giving God. In Malachi chapter 3, God is a blessing God. And so a lot of people want to focus in on the negative because there are a few negative things mentioned in Malachi 3 for the children of Israel at this time. But you've got to start right here. Jesus, God, God is saying here in his word, it's because I love you that I've not already consumed you. It's because I'm merciful to you. So in the area of giving, in the area of stewardship, in the discipline of tithing. I don't approach it that God is going to get me if I don't. I approach it that it's by His mercy I am not consumed, and therefore I honor the Lord from my wealth. And so let's go on down to verse 7. Verse 7 says this. Actually, let's go to this PowerPoint, Jared. I missed this one. Look at this PowerPoint for life. And I've said this already, but we'll say it again. God does not need your money. Now, the church, we need your money. Can we be honest? The church needs your money because we're trying to change a community. We're trying to bless missionaries. We're trying to reach a campus. We're trying to reach an inner city. So the church needs your money. God does not need your money. God is not after your wallet. He's after your heart. 
And where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. So God says, if I can just get you to turn loose of your treasure, what is the most important thing to you? It's, it's our treasure. It's our bank account. It's our money. God says, if I can just get you to turn loose of your finances and put them in my hand, then I know that I'm on the way to having your heart. This whole issue in Malachi 3 is not about the people of God not giving in tithes and offerings. God had lost their heart. They did not have a heart after God. They had turned away from God. And we'll look at it in a minute. And God says, you can return to me by giving. Why? Because where your treasure is there, your heart goes also. You send your treasure ahead of where you want your heart to go. And if you want to have a heart after God, you've got to turn loose and let the Lord control your finances. Now look at verse 7. Is this okay? This is good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. <laughs> Here we go. Look at verse 7. From the days of your father, you've turned aside from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me. Notice this. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a good father. He's giving them an opportunity. Return to me. And, and you say, well, how shall we return? How can I get back? And look at verse 8. Notice this here. He says, will a man rob God? And I'm going to show you something here, a different twist on this that maybe you've never seen. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? How have we cheated you? And the Lord said, you've robbed me in tithe and offerings. Now I want to bring something out right here, Jared, if you can stay on this, because I want to show you something that I believe this means, especially to us in the New Testament. You see, we have to take the Old Testament laws and we have to bring them into grace. We have to bring the old concept of tithing. We have to bring it under the New Testament in grace. So this is what I believe this. I'm going to show you this in a way you've maybe never seen. So we know back from Leviticus 27, under the old covenant, under the Mosaic law, God said the tithe is holy unto the Lord. 10% belongs to me. The firstborn belongs to me. Let me travel on down this road and say that it's not even so much just about a percentage. It's actually more about a portion. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but tithe is over and over again connected to first fruits and firstborn. So it's not even, the focus is not even so much on just a percentage, it's about the first portion, meaning God wants the first. Did we not just read that God is a jealous God? Did we not just read that they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to us? So it is possible to give 10% to God and not actually be following tithing principles because you're not giving the first portion, because it takes a lot of faith to give the first it takes more faith to give the first than it does. Well, I'm going to spend all my money this month, and if I have anything left, I'm going to give it to God. It takes tremendous faith to give God the first portion. So God's not after your money. He's not after just a percentage. He's after the first portion. So if you tithe, if you do that, and you feel the Lord leading you in that, according to the New Testament, I cannot just put that on you as a command. I can't just put that on you as a demand. It, it's, it's not there as far as you have to tithe 10%. But if you choose to do that as a systematic discipleship, which I do, and I'm going to teach you how I do that, which I choose to do that, then if you have 10 $100 bills, spread them out. I've got 10 $100 bills, imagine, in my hand here, spread out, a big fan. <laughs> I would wave myself if I had it. Which one of these $100 bills belongs to God? The first one spent, because that's the one that belongs to God. I used to get my paychecks on Fridays. We will write our check out, put the check in on Sunday, where what God is leading us, what we want to give that week, before I even put the check in on Monday. Because I'm determined I'm going to give God the first. 
Because it's not about the money. It's not about the finances. This is not a matter of accounting. This is a matter of honoring God first in your finances. Because if he can get your finances, he can get your heart. And I'm going to tell you something, church. Be careful, because if God gets your heart, he'll get your finances. And, and you'll look at the end of the year and go, holy moly, God used us to do that? Holy moly, we were able to give this percentage? I want to tell you this in a nice way, and this is not, this is not a, hey, look at me way, because there's a lot of people in this room that do a lot more than I'm able to do. But if we only gave 10% of the family, we would get a pay raise. I would love to only do 10% because it's not about it. And I don't even track it. I don't even like keep up with it. When I get this statement at the end of the year for what I've done here or there or there, I'm, I'm amazed. And I, I look at Terry and I go, look what God used us to do because I don't even track it. I don't keep a little chart at home. Will we give this much this week? Will we give this much? I don't even know. God says give and we give. God says, here's a need. We're going to Africa, and I'm going to bless them to that need. And I don't even know. And there's, there's money that we give that we don't even get RS tickets for. But who cares? It's God gives us everything, and I'll honor the Lord with my finances, and I'll honor the Lord with my wealth, and He takes care of it. And there's some principles here I want to show you. So will a man rob God? Now notice this here in tithe and offerings. In the Bible, there were free will offerings. Leviticus 27, in the Old Covenant, the tithe belonged to, the God, to, to God. You didn't have a choice. It was His. It was a command. You had to do that. The tithe was taken. Now in the New Testament, we don't take the tithe and offerings. We receive them because we're not taking anymore. It's We're receiving. But notice this here. How can you rob God in something that does not belong to Him? If free will offerings were of your own accord and your own free will... How can you rob God of something that doesn't belong to Him? I understand the tithe part, because Leviticus 27, the tithe is holy, belongs to the Lord. It doesn't say the offerings are holy and belong to the Lord. So how can you possibly rob God of something that is not His? Are you ready? Here's some revelation. You are robbing God of His blessings on your finances. You are robbing God of the opportunity to show you supernatural provision. God was being robbed by the people of Israel of an opportunity to meet their needs in abundance in every way. We're robbing God of an opportunity when we give God and invest the first portion of our income and our increase to God, we allow His blessings on the rest. How many of you would rather have God bless the rest of your mess than all of your mess not be blessed? And so we're robbing God of opportunities to be a blessing. We're robbing God of opportunities to show himself strong in the area of our finances. Now look at verse 9. I want to teach you something here that you may have never seen before. It says, you are cursed with a curse. And I've heard preachers say before, if you don't give God his tithe, he's going to take it out in doctor bills. I mean, that's wrong. That's terrible. That's awful. Now notice this here. Does the Bible say God is cursing them? Does the Bible say, I'm going to curse you because you're not giving your tithe? I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Don't pretend to be. But the research I did on this phrase and this word means you are cursed with the curse. Meaning the curse of the fall, not necessarily just the curse of the law. Deuteronomy 28, we read all about there is cursings that come if the Old Testament believers didn't follow the law. But in the Bible, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. How can I be cursed if I'm redeemed? But now I want to teach you something. Are you ready? Write this down. I want you to write this down very clearly. Look at this PowerPoint for life, Jared. I want them to see this very clearly. Ready? Listen to what I'm going to say. We are delivered from the power of the curse, but we are not delivered from the presence of the curse. 
Let me explain that. We are delivered from the power of the curse, but not the presence of the curse. Meaning, if you read Colossians 1.13, it says we've been redeemed out of darkness, we've been redeemed out of the curse, and we've been put into God's kingdom, His kingdom of light. So we are redeemed from the curse, but yet we still live in a cursed, fallen world. If you don't believe we live in a cursed, fallen world, take out a hammer and put your thumb on a table and give it a good whack. You'll experience the curse. So God is saying here, listen what God is saying back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 9. God is not saying, I am cursing you because you're robbing me in tithe and offerings. God's saying, when you're not following my statutes, when I'm not first, when you're not giving me the first portion, you are, you are living in a cursed world. Now you are under the curse that is already in the world. You're under the curse of the fall. Now let me give you an example we can all understand. How many of you came in this morning? It was raining. I came in this morning, it was raining. All around me, it's raining. But I had an umbrella. And so I was protected. I was dry. I was under safety. When I follow God, when God gets my heart, when I honor God first in my finances, I'm holding the umbrella and I'm protected from the curse. But the moment that I disobey God, I close the umbrella. And then guess what? I'm getting wet. God is not specifically making it rain on me. I'm just out in the elements. And so God is telling his people, he's telling his church, when you honor me in the areas of giving and finances, when you put me first, then you are positioning yourself to be in the blessings of God. You're positioning yourself to be in the favor of God. It's not that God's going to curse you and your car's going to break down and your washing machine's going to quit. God is not trying to get you cursed. He's trying to get you blessed. And so by honoring God, keeping him first, we're under that covering of protection. Now look at verse 10, Malachi 3.10. There's been a lot of debate here. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So there's a, there's, there's a debate out there that people think, well, I'll just give God whatever I want to give and shoot some here and there and here and there. And there's another group that says, no, you have to give it to the local church. And so where's the Bible on this? We're, number one, I'm not going to tell you where you have to give your money because I'm not God and I'm not the Holy Spirit. And another reason I believe that the, the New Testament is silent on should you put, if, if you tithe, if you choose to do that, if that's a workable systematic plan for you as a spiritual discipline, if you, if, the New Testament doesn't say you just have to put that all into your local church. Now, I'm a local church pastor. I would love you to put all of your tithe into local church, but I cannot honestly tell you from a scriptural standpoint that that's what you have to do. I'm not a good steward of the word if I do that. Now, here's what I can tell you. You know where I put my tithe? When I tithe, that's a systematic way. I put it into this house. You know why? Because I want my heart in this house. I want my heart for Andrea. I want my heart for Pastor Michael and Candy. So I start out, my family, we've agreed that as a, as a spiritual discipline, as a workable plan, as a life, not law, we're going to invest 10% into our local body, I start here. Now, there's other missionaries we support, other offerings we give, so forth and so on. But I want my heart here. I want a heart for you. I want a heart for this community. So I put my treasure where I want my heart to be because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it says, bring the whole tithe and do the storehouse. What is the storehouse? We don't really have storehouses now, but it's my understanding in the temple in Jerusalem, they had a, 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 an area where they would bring the grain and the animals and they would literally store it all together. And so uh, folks say, you know, you should put that where you're fed. Well, hopefully you're fed the word of God here. Now notice this here. It says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. So let's assume that you want to contribute that into your local church. 
Notice this here. It says, so there may be food in my house. What is, what is food represent in Scripture? Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Peter wrote to his church that we should not desire just milk, but we should grow up to solid food. So when you invest your tithe into a local storehouse or a local church like this, it ensures that we keep the doors open, and then we have the food of the Word of God. We're feeding our community the Word of God. We're feeding our community love. So it says, bring the tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is something the Lord began to revelate to me in a real way. And it's the power of multiplication. So I cannot dig a well right now in Africa. I don't have the finances right now to spend five dollars to $7,000 to dig a well in Africa. But if I put my tithe into our local body, into our local storehouse, and Bob and Gail do the same, and Mary and David do the same, and Tom and Tara do the same, and BJ and Rinkum are doing the same, next thing you know, my tithe that can only do so much by itself is now multiplied, and now collectively the house, there's food in the house, we can now dig a well in Africa. Well, I don't know if I trust them with my money. Then don't go to church there. If you can't trust them to put the money in the plate, don't go to church there. We love you. Go somewhere else. So, so the issue is I'm, I'm not going to put this on you and say you have to give all your tithe if you choose that as a disciplined, workable plan. But I'm going to say if, if, if you have a heart for the house, then God will lead you and you'll, he'll be, you'll be led in that because we are stronger together. We can do more together. And again, it's not just about a percentage. It's about... The portion, it's about the first. Now notice this, this is the part I love. When we do this, when we follow God, when we're putting God first, He says, test me in this. How many times in Scripture are we supposed to test God? How many times in Scripture are we to try God? Well, Pastor, I don't believe you if this is what, you know, if I should do it. That's why God said, test me. We're to test the spirits, discernment. But God directly says, if you don't believe me, give it a shot. Put me first, not just, not just put 10% in. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I know people that put 10% in and their finances are a mess. It ain't about the, the 10%. You put me first in your finances. You give me the first portion. You follow me in generous New Testament giving and see if the windows of heaven are not open unto you. They're already open. But when we do that, it allows them to come into our life and we put ourselves in position to receive what God wants to do. Remember, he's a good father. Remember, I don't change. Remember how much God loves us. He wanted them to return. That's how we honor God. So let me walk through this here just, just a few more minutes with you it's life and not law say that with me ready it's life and not law we've got to understand that when i tithe when i when when i take my finances and i decide i'm going to give god 10 percent as a way to honor him it keeps my heart free from greed and it forces me to be a good steward if at the beginning of the week i give god 10 percent I better be praying and seeking the Lord and trusting Him to bless my 90 the rest of the month, rest of the week. It keeps me in a fellowship with God because, okay, Lord, I gave this to you. Let's see what you're going to do. I want to say this in a nice way, in a kind way, but if you cannot manage the 90%, you will never manage the 100%. You give someone who is broke a lottery ticket and they'll spend it in no time. They'll spend it in months. They'll be broke again. There's, there's people that win millions of dollars and in two years they're broke again. It's, it's an issue of stewardship. And it, it proves that, that God is the Lord over my money. When I give God an allotment at the beginning of my increase, it allows the blessings of God to cover and, and take on the rest. Remember in Exodus 13, the firstborn redeemed the rest. You give the firstborn and the rest is redeemed. When I give the first portion to God, the rest is redeemed. 
So let me just show you this as we wrap this up today. Tithing was before the law. It was under the law. And then we can see generous New Testament giving even after the law. And so I want to I just leave you with this thought. God is a good God. He's a loving God. He's, not the, he's, he's the Father God. He's not the God Father. Amen? Watch this short video of someone who got confused about the God Father. Check out this video. I'm a very patient man. You've been dodging me for weeks. Where's the three million dollars you embezzled from me? Where's... Why is he looking at you? Sir, he's deaf. He doesn't understand what you're talking about. But I can interpret for you. I'm glad you're here. Yes. Please ask him, where's my three million dollars? Three million? Hey, I don't know. What? Okay. Okay. I see where this is going here. Let me ask you again. Where's the three million dollars you embezzled from me? I don't know. I don't know. Hey, 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 I don't know. Okay. Hey, I don't know. Okay, okay. Calm down. Calm down. We're good here. We're all friends, right? <laughs> Where's the three million dollars you embezzled from me? What's he saying? <laughs> you don't want to know. Tell me where my money is. What'd he say? Huh. You don't have the guts to pull the trigger. Ah, uh, come on. Did you get that? So God's not after your wallet. He's after your heart. As a family, we've decided to systematically, as a spiritual discipline, give 10% into our local church because that's where we want our heart to be. But it's not a matter of percentage. Again, tithing, if you operate in that function, is, is really, honestly, it's the training wheels just to get you up and going. It's just a spiritual discipline like praying and fasting. And I would encourage you to be led by the Lord and put invest in where you're seeing fruit. In this ministry, we're seeing fruit. We're, we're believing God for more, but we're seeing things accomplished. So I want to give you some scriptures here just to read on your own because I don't have time today to get into it. But write down Genesis 14. 18 through 20, this is a powerful passage where Abraham tithes a 10% of spoils of the war to Melchizedek, who is, I wish I had much time to do this. We won't go there, but read Hebrews 7. Write this down, Hebrews 7. Don't have to go there, Jared. But way before the law, hundreds of years before the law, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the high priest of God, because he wanted to honor him. And so that's why we see the tenth today. Abraham was the father of our faith. And so the father of our faith deemed it necessary and, and appropriate to give the Lord 10%. Not only that, but the Bible says in Genesis chapter 28 that Jacob tithed to God. Now, there's no law. There's no requirement. How would Jacob know to give God 10%? 
because Abraham, his great, his, his granddad, the grandfather, had passed that down and said, because we love God, because we honor the Lord, we're given the Lord a tenth. And so that's where the whole thing started. Then it comes on into the law with Moses, and it's a requirement. And now in the New Testament, um, we see uh, J- Jesus doesn't directly say that we should continue tithing, but he does affirm that it is, it is, it is a, a practice that is being done by the Pharisees. And let me show you this in Matthew 23. I want you to see this. Matthew 23 and verse 23, Jerry. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. That's spices. They would literally have a handful of spices and count out the tiniest little tenth. They would do it in an open way and a show way, proving that tithing is not just about the money or the percentage. It's about your heart. Because they were given 10%, but they were getting it wrong. They were still missing the mark. And it says... You have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, meaning you're still missing justice, you're missing mercy and faithfulness. Now look at this next passage here. And this is just the way I think. This is in my head the way that I think. Uh, look, at, look at the next one, Jared, here, the, the part there. It says, these things you should have done, meaning you should have done this. Of course, they were under the law, so he's affirming the law they're under. But he said, you should have done these things, but you should not have neglected the other. And this is what I take that to mean. Jesus was all about coming at the Pharisees and stopping their religious... Uh, deal stopping what they were doing that was against uh, his grace and his mercy and if there were ever an opportunity for jesus to say hey boys now that i'm here we can do away with this we don't need to do this anymore this would have been his opportunity but he said them and who heard this his disciples heard this his disciples heard him tell this and so uh and then we see like i said in hebrews 7 really goes into detail about melchizedek who represents jesus our high priest and it's out of honor it's out of love that we give the lord so write this down here's three areas that god can bless us in remember we rob god in an opportunity to bless us number one i believe in our tithing i believe if you set that as a spiritual discipline i believe you give the lord an opportunity to bless you number one in your tithing again it's not just about a percentage it's more about the first portion it's more about God getting your, your heart, being spiritually disciplined, not being greedy. This is a quote that I wrote down, all right? It says, The New Testament speaks more of sacrificial, joyful, and regular proportionate giving than percentage giving. you got to know that if you're looking at the Bible honestly. The New Testament speaks more of sacrificial, joyful, regular, proportionate giving than percentage. And this is what it says, Grace should induce greater results than the law. So if you had Jewish people and they only had the, the, the information of the Old Testament and they would give 10 to 30% depending on the year and depending on the required tithe, how much more should New Testament believers be free and open in our generosity? How much more should New Testament believers put God first? Grace should induce greater results. Number two is in our offerings. So we give God a chance to bless us in our tithe. We give God a chance to bless us in our offerings like we're doing today for missions. And then here's the third way that the Lord has an opportunity to bless us as we close is in sacrificial giving. And we're, we're uh, in a series in Mark, and Mark chapter 12 is all about the, uh, the end there's the widow mites where she gave all that she had. She gave sacrificially. And so sometimes God will call you to do that, but not every week. Every week, God's not calling you into this sacrificial giving. But there will be seasons and times in your life where you love God, you honor Him, and as as an act of worship, as life and not law, you sow and invest into His kingdom. And you do that through a spiritual discipline, whatever percentage the Lord leads you to do. 10%, I think, is a good starting point. Work your way up from there. Trust the Lord. See things grow. Then there's offerings. We give missions offerings every, every month. But there are certain times when the Lord will lead you to sacrificially give. And that's when it hurts. 
And I can't do that. I can't come up here and pull those strings and, and, and uh, coerce you into doing that. That has to be spirit-led. And God will lead you to do that. There's been a handful of times in my life, a few times that God has led us into what I would call sacrificial giving. But it's not every day. It's, and, and I thank God that it's not every day because <laughs> that's when it hurts. That's when you have to go home and move money out of this account or that account or you have to sell this. The Lord's dealt with me on things before to give. I didn't have the money, so I had to sell some stuff. I had to put some stuff I love. That hurts. But it's all about keeping God first. Say this with me as we close. See, if God can get my heart, then He'll have my treasure. And if I give the Lord my treasure, it'll help Him have my heart. Amen? Amen. First things first. Let's pray and then I'll ask Pastor.